0: Welcome to MoFo Perspectives, a podcast by Morrison and Forrester, where we share the perspectives of our clients, colleagues, subject matter experts, and lawyers. Welcome to MoForecast, a podcast series where experts from Morrison and Forrester make predictions about enforcement and policy trends in the Biden administration. Today, we'll be discussing national security. I'm your host, James Kukios, and today I'm joined by my partner, Brandon Van Grack. Brandon is the former chief of DOJ's Foreign Agents Registration Act unit and co-chair of MOFO's National Security and Global Risk and Crisis Management practice groups. Brandon, before we get into our predictions for the future, let's set the stage for the current context. What were the national security enforcement priorities and trends during the Trump administration?
1: Good question. And James, thanks for having me on. Longtime listener, first-time caller, so really great to be here. So the trends, there's only one trend, and that is upwards, which is that in terms of in what we will define and we'll talk about the national security regulatory space, all of the different regulatory tools that the executive branch has were enforced more rigorously and applied more aggressively than they have in the past. And this administration found ways to identify new tools that had not previously been used. Obviously, a lot of that was directed towards China, and what you had was unprecedented, truly, use of tools directed towards China, but it certainly was not geographic limited. And really what it is, is, and again, we'll talk about them, all of these tools in the national security space, sanctions, export controls, regulations on foreign direct investment, regulations on foreign influence, they are tools for the US government to effectuate its national security and foreign policy objectives. And what you saw was this administration very aggressively wherever it's national security direction, wherever those winds blew, really using all of those tools. Thanks for
0: that backdrop. Very interesting. I think one knock on the Trump administration when it came to DOJ was that sometimes DOJ did not enforce all the laws as vigorously as before, but it sounds like in the national security space, that was not the case.
1: I think that's right. Interesting you say one knock, but yes, I think there, especially in sort of the white collar space, there's that observation. And I think there are probably pockets Where you could say that's true in the national security space, but overall, that's exactly right. We could go through all of them in the space regulating foreign direct investment. Most commonly, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, an interagency group where uh, foreign investment in particular U.S. companies are screened and potentially can be blocked if there are national security issues. There was a law passed in the Trump administration that allowed for greater regulation in this area, and you had more investments being reviewed, and ultimately what are called national security agreements, agreements that are imposed for these transactions to go forward, and ultimately the record number of transactions that were blocked in the space of the Foreign Agents Registration Act of the area that I was leading for the last couple of years, which is commonly known as FERA, a law that requires individuals acting in the United States in certain activities on behalf of foreign persons, you had record numbers of investigations being opened. And so I think this is a long way of saying, yes, you're right, James, that you saw really enforcement really aggressive in this space.
0: And what do you see that trend happening in the Biden administration? Is that gonna continue to go up? Is it gonna be a little different? What do you see coming in the next four years?
1: So in broad strokes, the direction, again, is only upwards. Once the U.S. government opens a regulatory door, it never closes it. And so even though there are these new tools that were identified, some of which had been on the book for decades, now that they've been dusted off, I fully expect the Biden administration to use them. I'll give you one example. There is a list called the Pentagon list, where it is companies that are identified as being connected to the Chinese government. It was mandated by a law passed in 1999, and the Department of Defense had actually never identified, sort of added companies to this list. The Trump administration did as they were targeting China. And now there is, in fact, a list. And what has happened is the Trump administration used that list to prevent U.S. persons from investing in these identified Chinese companies. That list will be used in the Biden administration. Whether certain new entities are added and some may come off, it could be fluid. But that list is here to stay now. A line has been drawn in the sand and we don't go back. I think where you will see change is not on aggressive enforcement and use of these tools. It's the fact that national security objectives and foreign policy objectives will change. And so the one example is human rights. There are a number of tools, sanctions being one example. Export controls being another example where entities, companies and individuals were put on lists that restrict access to U.S. goods and sometimes the U.S. financial system because of connections to human rights. The U.S. government, specifically in the Trump administration, used these tools directed towards human rights more aggressively than it ever has before. The Biden administration is going to find a broader array of human rights issues to target. And you just saw that with what happened with Saudi Arabia and Khashoggi. You are seeing these tools that maybe more traditionally were thought of only in instances where there's a direct threat to the United States and being more broadly applied to something like human rights. And I'll give you one more example, which is climate change in the environment. That is now the Biden administration talks about climate change as a national security issue. And so you are going to see the same tools we just talked about, sanctions, export controls, foreign directed investment, CFIUS that we just talked about where the US government is going to imposing sanctions or restrictions on engaging in the United States on entities that they view as contrary to environmental policy or disruptive to climate change.
0: You mentioned China is one of the main focuses, not the only, but one of the main focuses of the Trump administration. Is that likely to continue under Biden? And are there additional countries or geographies that may be of interest?
1: Yes and yes. So in terms of China, it will remain, absolutely remain focused. And as I had mentioned before, and actually worth taking a step back, you really did have this unprecedented use of tools targeting it. There are some that are more well known than others, but there was literally something called the China Initiative. You can Google it, where the US government Department of Justice is identifying all the tools they are using to target what they view as practices that are contrary to US national security. That will continue, I think, As it pertains to China, what you'll see is greater predictability in terms of how those tools are deployed. I think before some of these tools and decisions were either perhaps politically charged or motivated or really somewhat reactionary, I think what you're going to see is decisions that are much more purposeful. And therefore, there'll be a little bit more predictability in terms of who and why individuals and entities are being targeted. And I just want to give sort of a few examples which are less popular, well-known, but the State Department started deploying something called the Foreign Missions Act. This is a law that allows the State Department to identify entities connected to a foreign government as a foreign mission. And there are a number of Chinese entities that were identified as a foreign mission. And that may not necessarily affect particular businesses. I use that as an example as a law that was very seldomly used That is targeting Chinese entities. And I'd be surprised if the Biden administration removes these entities as foreign missions. It's possible. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think you're going to see more gradual movement. And I think just generally in areas like I just mentioned, human rights or even environmental issues, you're going to see probably more entities being put on the list. And the Biden administration is already conducting a review of its China policy in a number of areas. And I would be very surprised if you see substantial shifts in that area. You know, the other question was, are there other sort of geographic areas that may be targeted? And I think the Middle East is going to be another one. And there's, in fact, some recent reporting on this. But previously, the Trump administration had very close relationships with Saudi Arabia and the Emiratis. And you saw that demonstrated in a whole manner of relationships. You saw that in the treatment of Saudi Arabia as a pertain to Shoghi. And a lot of that was directed towards their foreign policy and national security priorities. Obviously, Israel and establishing relationships with Israel and Middle Eastern countries was a huge priority. You also had individuals who had positions of power authority in the Trump administration who had ties to these particular governments. What appears to be the case in the Biden administration is those relationships are now different. Those individuals who had those relationships are no longer with the government. The Biden administration's views that it Israel slightly differently than the Trump administration. And it is handling issues like human rights in a different fashion. And so I think you're going to see a reset in terms of how some of these regulatory tools are used towards different countries. And again, you just saw that with some of the sanctions targeting Saudi Arabia in a way that the information, the facts that drove this most recent action, it just sort them happened in the last few days, that's from a report in 2018. So this is old news. And nevertheless, you have an administration coming in and not focusing on the fact that it's to some degree dated information, but focusing on a different view of what national security and foreign policy priorities are. And so there will be sort of, I think, a new level set there.
0: And what about FARA enforcement? How is the Biden administration likely to approach FARA enforcement?
1: It's going to continue to be enforced aggressively when you talk about FARA really, it's a 80 plus year old statute that had been seldomly enforced in those 80 years, or at least in my lifetime. And what happened was the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. And you had the US government, specifically the Department of Justice and the FBI, recognize that this issue of foreign influence, the Russian government's efforts to influence the election was a national security issue. And there was a recognition that Farah was in fact the best legal tool they had to address it. And so it took a number of years to sort of make the organizational and personnel decisions. But now you have the priority, the resources, both at the Justice Department and the FBI to target this area. And so, like I mentioned, last year, there were a record number of FARA investigations opened up. There were a record number of registrations that occurred under FARA. And that's going to continue. They continue to build their resources. And by they, I mean the Justice Department and the FBI. I would predict that this year you're going to see a number of additional criminal charges under FARA. You're going to see more civil actions under FARA. And in fact, right now in Congress, there are a number of bills that are being discussed that would enhance the tools and the penalties pertaining to FARA. And I would predict that this year is the year that actually something like that passes, which would again you'd see the growth in enforcement that would stem from that.
0: So FARA is obviously foreign agents. Cypheus is obviously foreign investment. We've talked about China, Middle East. What about domestic national security? You know, obviously with the end of the Trump administration, beginning of the Biden administration, domestic terrorism is an issue now. How is that going to play out in terms of DOJ's enforcement tools?
1: So it is the issue in terms of national security priorities. You're right. I mean, it's a good point. Sort of we're talking about foreign national security threats, but right now domestic terrorism is issue one, two, and three for the Justice Department and the FBI. I'd say, you know, maybe number two would be cybersecurity. And that's always going to sort of be a one or a two, but then everything else is tertiary. And with respect to domestic terrorism, what you have is a reorganization that really you haven't seen since 9-11 where there is a shifting in all agencies and departments to figure out what tools can be applied here. In fact, not only do you have our former colleague John Carlin at the Department of Justice leading that very issue, what are the criminal and other tools we have to deal with it, he did the same thing in cybersecurity and shifting resources and focus to focus on cyber attacks perpetrated by foreign governments. He's doing the exact same thing almost the exact same team at the Justice Department now leading that effort. But you also have new positions in the White House and National Security Council specifically focused on how do you harness all of the U.S. government's tools to address domestic terrorism. And so in addition to what's a remarkable effort by the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. to charge, I believe it's over 200 individuals now collected to the insurrection on January 6th. And the specific targeting of tools there, you're going to see, I suspect, new statutes and laws that are passed to address it. But you're also going to see ways to try to use regulatory tools to target. And I'll just give you one example, which is when you talk about social media and platforms that people use to communicate and gather. An example of Reddit, as it pertains to the issues with GameStop, you're going to see greater scrutiny on these platforms when there is issues like domestic terrorism or violent extremism that are on it. And I think you're going to find the U.S. government figuring out a way to inject itself into that conversation and figuring out a way to have those companies regulate or enforce or identify some of this troubling speech and communication.
0: So that's obviously a lot of resources, a lot of time, very well warranted. And of course, as you mentioned, John Carlin, great person to be. Heading that up, very experienced and the right guy in many ways. But are those domestic national security efforts going to take away resources from any of the foreign national security enforcement trends that you had talked about?
1: Look, to some degree, when you're talking about federal resources, it is a zero sum game, to some degree, right? And so, looking at, the, for example, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia, you can't charge over 200 people with criminal activity and then not have other criminal investigations be delayed or affected. And so this is what you do. You cannot enforce every law. You have to prioritize. And in the national security space, that's exactly what happens. Like I mentioned, the evolution, the bottom line is, is national security is always evolving. And so, yes, you are now taking away resources from one area, putting another, but you want a government that can be flexible and nimble like that to be able to pivot. And so, assuming we all agree on the premise that this is in fact the top national security priority, then it's probably right. I think the question is, well, where would those resources be pulled? And it's unclear. But I mean, I'll give you the reverse side of that coin, which is what happened to Sarah in the previous 80 years, which is the law that we're now talking about. And is in the news all the time. It's been here for 80 years. The U.S. government just simply decided it was not a priority for a period of time and did not invest the time and resources to enforce it. Now it is. And so. The reality is I do think you want a government and a department of justice that can pivot. And apparently we're talking a lot about John Carlin. Hopefully he's listening. But the reality is is you want someone like that, that has done this before in other national security areas like cybersecurity to figure out sort of the right levers to pull.
0: So we've talked about a lot of different statutes, a lot of different enforcement priorities. And to quote you, the trend is going up. So what can companies do? to best position themselves for that continuing increase in enforcement in national security space?
1: First thing is to take a deep breath because it is overwhelming. And I think it's important to call a spade a spade. I think that the two big things you can do is really compliance and due diligence. It is one of the things that we deal with in companies dealing with these range of issues all the time is really these companies, they want these issues flagged for them on the front end. So they can sort of make decisions on risk and, for example, disclosure on the back end. And so really having an updated compliance program where employees and individuals at a company know what they should be flagging for the legal team, for the general counsel's office of an entity, and therefore flagging, again, it seems like an ever-growing number of issues. It's sort of first and foremost. And ultimately, one of the challenges is that it's a compliance program that, really does need to be updated and really, at a minimum, every administration, as we are learning, it is so rapidly changing that it's something that really needs to be reviewed with some regularity. And the second piece is really what I stress is just due diligence and know your customer, those types of issues. They've always been important in all of these areas that we deal with in terms of whether it's a transaction, whether it's an export, but it is no longer simply running a name through a database to make sure someone is not a terrorist. There's all sorts of additional information that companies collect on these individuals, all sorts of ways to do due diligence, including abroad to find out who they are. And the U.S. government is now expecting that and being to some degree sort of unforgiven in terms of. The due diligence requirement. And then even more broadly, that's maybe in the specific category of export controls and sanctions. When you talk about doing deals and foreign investment, the due diligence on the front end allows you to position yourself in the right manner on the back end when you are presenting yourself to the U.S. government, to the committee on foreign investment in the United States so that you are already prepared to address potential national security issues, not only just front them or just simply be strategic in terms of how you handle them.
0: Great advice, Brandon. Well, this brings us to the end of our MO forecast episode on national security enforcement and policy trends in the Biden administration. Once again, I'm your host, James Kukios, speaking with Brandon Van Grack. If you liked today's episode, please visit the MOFO website and join us for additional installments of the MO Forecast series, covering predictions for enforcement and policy trends in other areas of the law. Thanks for joining us please make sure to subscribe to the MoFo Perspectives podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like more information on this topic, please visit mofo.com slash podcasts. Again,
1: that's mofo, M-O-F-O dot com slash podcasts.